I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 166. This time around, we are talking to the awe-inspiring writer, actor, storyteller, Kate Siegel. She reveals the secrets behind her mysterious surprise role in The Haunting of Bly Manor. At time of release, the number one show on Netflix. If you're still watching Bly and have not seen her appearance yet, stop right now. This is going to be full of spoilers. Come back to this episode as soon as you have finished checking it out, and the party will continue right here. If we're ready to proceed, get prepared to dive into the making of one of our most favorite episodes in the series, Episode 8. We'll explore the costumes, the props, the mechanics of the brilliant direction of this episode from Axel Carolyn. This will be about mystique, reverence, poetry. Get an update on the next project you'll see her in, Midnight Mass, and so much more. Episode 166 starts now. This is Kate Siegel, and you're haunting another episode of The Boo Crew. I have a story. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio is a great friend of the show. She's a truly gifted, intoxicatingly compelling storyteller and creator. She's starting countless features, shorts, and TV projects, including the Emmy-nominated Ghost Whisperer, Numbers, Castle, and Mob City. Her work constructing this brilliant symphony of tension in the unforgettable role of Maddie in one of the most visceral cinematic experiences of all time, 2016's multi-award-winning Hush has become one of the pillars of genre filmmaking and also serves as a tremendous showpiece to her virtuistic writing skills, command of thought-provoking narrative, and impeccable attention to detail. She has also appeared in 2013's award-winning Oculus, the multi-award-winning Ouija Origin of Evil, Gerald's Game. In 2018, she gave us Theodora Crane on the terrifying and soul-melting The Haunting of Hill House. It has become known as one of the top-rated shows in history accruing over 10 awards and 32 nominations and scores of new devoted fans getting pulled in by the whimsy of its many mysteries every day. In Theodora, she gave us an icon of strength, a vessel of compassion, and a symbol of courage and love. In her body of work, in following her heart, and putting all of herself into this craft that is intertwined with her essence, our guest has already managed to create this incredible legacy that will be talked about, meditated upon, enjoyed, and shared forever. It is truly a gift to experience. Her latest work is in Mike Flanagan's stunning new masterpiece, A Haunted Prayer on Love and Mortality, The Haunting of Bly Manor. Available now on Netflix, we are honored to welcome the amazing Kate Siegel. Yeah! Yeah! I can't with your introductions. Your introductions, I, they blow my mind. Blo- I, I don't even know what to say with that. Well, again, again, thank you so much for taking the time to be with I mean, we miss you guys so much. Just yeah. in general, how the hell have you been doing? You know, I think we can all honestly say that we're struggling. It's just, it's a lot, a lot of different things. I am by far one of the luckiest people I know in terms of being able to work, being able to be with my kids. Neither of my uh, younger kids are school aged. And so I don't have to do any of the distance learning. So I try just to like really focus on all the good things and not 
all of the time I want to be eating Triscuits and crying. I don't know what I have to do. Copyright itself, Kate Surprise. What's the state of affairs then right now concerning where you guys are at in production of the new project, Midnight Mass, with everything going on? We are up in Vancouver shooting right now. And that's a whole new game as well because Netflix is right on top of it in terms of safety. And we all feel really protected and safe and grateful. We're getting tested. And the crew is in full PPE, which means face shield, KN95 masks, our hair and makeup teams wear surgical gowns. But a lot of that like independent film feel where you get to talk to people and get to know your grips and you get to know your camera operators and the cast can gather and chat, that's all gone. And so it becomes this sort of more focused clinical way of storytelling, which I think for the show we're making is fabulous because it has created our little, our tiny community, which is what the show is about. It has created a deep intimacy very quickly with us because we're the only ones who aren't wearing masks. And so really we have this experience that we're all having together. And um, in a very small way, it is like we all grew up on a fishing island together. There's a fishing island, I guess, that they've built in Steveston outside of Vancouver. It's become like a tourist attraction out there. The set design, the art direction of this show is insane. People are going to lose their minds. But yeah, they keep building tiny towns and turn and burning them down. So I don't know. Turn them down. <laughs> no, I know there's not much you could say about it, but can you at least yeah. for those who don't know or perhaps haven't discovered it yet, can you lead them a little bit on that Easter Bunny trail that exists in the title of that project and its ties to some pre-existing adventures oh, that we may have been on? In my mass. Oh, Beautiful, beautiful Midnight Mass is the book that Maddie wrote in Hush. Yes. And I fully expect that all of the fans of the Flanniverse, someone's got to create the gif where Sarah says, I loved Riley. I love Aaron. Ah! I'm not going to give too much away, but that's going to be a really important like clip to have when this show comes out. Oh, that's so awesome. So let's get into the wonders of Bly. First of all, congratulations on this piece. and. Coming off yes. this incredible world you're a part of building with Hill House and, and pushing yourself to new limits as a performer, perhaps even to unheard of limits by a cast in the history of a televised narrative even, it was also a very formative time in the discovery of talent like Victoria Pedretti and the creation of new friendships. What was the creative energy like going into Bly and how long in between was there, was there any sort of break in between the two projects? Well, for me... Between the end of Hill House and the beginning of Bly, I had my baby girl. I had Theodora Flanagan. And um, so I kind of was outside of that whole world. Having a baby is a gravity well in itself. Like it just sucks you in. And like it's the only thing you think about or want to talk about or want to do or want to eat. Like you just want to eat this baby. Maybe that's just me. Triscuits. We eat babies. (laughs) Um, But... What was interesting is that when Bly started, the mechanism started rolling. I kept sitting there just really wanting to play, feeling like I had been put on the bench, like I had been benched for this season. And I thought, you know what? They're not even going to use me because I have a baby and they have all of these incredible cast members to use. And they brought in all these brand new, beautiful cast members. And when Mike let me know and, and Leah pitched episode eight to me, I like a big drama queen. I cried because I was like, I get to play. I get to go in. Put me in, coach. I yay. 
That was really fun. Not only do you get a play, you get to play in these amazing costumes. Oh my gosh. Were those vintage or did they make them by hand? That is seven hot couture gowns made by Lynn Falconer and team. They are full corseted. They brought in a corseter. I have one of them that um, I would go get now, but then my child would know where I am. (laughs) But um, they are built to my body and they are in storage. It is an insane thing. We're hoping to get some pictures of them so that people can see them up close because truly, truly beautiful constructed out of whole cloth gowns oh my god have an episode title like the romance of certain old clothes really got to lean into that and lynn did and it was really impressive did you have a particular favorite i get my favorite is when you walk in you have that kind of coat and that crazy hat that you take off Viola's riding costume. Oh, that went through through so many iterations. For a long time, I kept saying, I wanted to be wearing her dad's old riding outfit. Like, I want her in pants because a woman in pants at that time would have been shocking. It would have been equivalent to me walking in the room naked. And we just couldn't build it in a way that it didn't make me look kind of like Captain Jack Sparrow, (laughs) which I was all for. But we really needed her to be like gloriously imposing. But I love that outfit. My favorite, favorite, favorite one is actually a dress that you only see briefly, which is when me and my sister are entertaining all the suitors and I have my fan. And what you can't see is that that whole thing is iridescent. And so it's lavender from some angles and it is blue from some some angles. And it's like this this kind of deep ocean gray from some angles And so I can't wait for people to see that in color. Oh, yes. Well, that's the other thing, right? That episode, it is in black and white. What was the thought process in having that shifted to black and white when you have all these amazing things and details that might not go noticed? I don't know. Like, I'm not part of the inner workings of the behind the scenes of the decision to make it black and white. But what I did, what I, for my own performance, was I thought to myself, like, well, I'm a story within a story, right? So we're another level removed and that kind of highlights it. It pulls us out one more time so that you understand that this is sort of a parable of the whole experience of Bly. This is the fairy tale of Viola and Perdita and why the ghosts exist. And I think that was really helpful for the audience because it immediately tells them we're somewhere else and we're doing something else. Your character and a few others have been kept as these wonderful secrets for us to discover on this journey. How important is mystique do you think and what what do you think it awakens oh god what a beautiful question i think in this day and age mystique is rare mystique is is hard to come across it's like a a beautiful hidden gem that if you can get it it can very much elevate anything but it is so hard to do my beautiful fans on Twitter were just like constantly pawing at me. I think of them as cats and they're just like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Where are you doing? What are you, what? Hello. And I had to, I, I mean, I don't even know. I think I responded to a few with gifts and the only thing I could do was post black and white gifts so that they know that after the fact they, that I was giving something away, but I'm really impressed that we were able to keep this a secret as long as possible because I mean, how do you even do that in this world? Yeah, yeah, it's impressive. Directing this episode, all the different episodes have different directors. We've got Liam Gavin from A Dark Song, which is a film that Ugh. you led us to discover, which is, oh my God, one of our favorites. It's so great, Dark Song. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. I mean, that angel, I think about that. Oh my all God. Time. I wasn't ready yeah. for that. 
I didn't know we were going to see what they showed us in that film at that point. I've actually read about that ritual and of people having actually successfully performed that ritual, oh, including far. Aleister Crowley. There's a whole whole story about it. it it's, a, it's a very deep dive into I think it's called the Abramelin ritual where you summon your guardian angel. And it, I do not yeah. want to meet my right, guardian right. angel. I do not. You're doing a great job. You keep doing what you're doing. I don't want to interrupt. Thank you. Please don't leave. Another great director, E.L. Katz, who did Cheap Thrills, which was another recent discovery where our minds were blown. And then for episode eight, you have Axel Carolyn, who's worked on Tales of Halloween, also a scriptwriter for Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Talk about working with her, why she was chosen in particular for this project. Mike believed correctly that this decidedly female story needed a female director. And Axel is an up and coming, amazing voice with like a very strong vision, which is important for this episode. And Axel shows up with just like piles and piles of inspirational images from old movies. And like we were talking about old Nosferatu images and how we wanted the monster of Viola to look and move and sound that like breathing noise of like old monster movies. And I think without that level and, and vision, the episode doesn't work at all because she not only had that, she had a joy every time she showed up to work. She was full of joy to be there. We were all dancing and singing and like we just could not have been having more fun. We, um, as you know, they transformed Blind Manor into the, the time of the episode, but they didn't have to change all the rooms. And so one of the rooms that didn't get changed was Miles's bedroom. And so they use that for actor staging. And sometimes between setups, me and Katie Parker and Axel would just pile into the bed and like read scary stories and like tell each other ghost stories. And like this is pre-COVID, so we could just like hug. And those are some of my favorite memories. I have a handful of those pictures I'm going to post later on. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And you're, you're the makeup look when you caught the lung and you start getting the shadow on your face. It does have that Nosferatu, almost like Barbara Steele look. It looks so yes. cool. Such a yeah, harkening old, back to those old horror. Old monsters. The Boo Crew will be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Not since Dracula stalked the earth has the world known so terrifying a day or night. It is I who renounce you, and in the name of Satan, I place a curse upon you. Sunday is like no motion picture you've ever seen. There are those who believe and those who do not. But both must know the suspense, the shock of meeting the living dead and of bringing the dead to life.
And speaking of the lung, how crazy that Bly in this episode all of a sudden becomes a center for quarantine. Not only for the characters in the story, but the whole like city, everybody around gravitates to Bly in a time of quarantine. Yeah. Was any of that tweaked in post-production to add some elements of that voiceover that we talk about and some of the things that Carla Gugino says in the narrative speaks so incredibly precise to what's going on? I don't think so. I believe that that was as written and it was just like a, a precognition of the writers. Maybe something was like beamed in very quickly and they got that feeling that like this is this is something we should talk about because we were wrapped and done way before this was even a thing. Unbelievable. Yeah, working with Axel, what was your favorite scene to shoot? And what were some of the challenges in filming your scenes in episode eight? Oh, God, Axel. Oh, the one I love so much is, oh, Axel came up with this brilliant idea, which is that when we are miming things and we are having a conversation, you can't use your mouth. No one is mouthing words. So, and it felt so weird to do. It was just like, and it was such a, a leap of faith because I trusted her so much. But I was like, this is going to be weird, Axel. Like, this isn't going to work. She's like, it's going to work. It's going to work. And so we watched playback on the first day. And it looks so much like a fairy tale, like lovely black and white mosaic that I just I think she's a genius. But there's one where Katie and I are in bed and we're kneeling in profile and she has a candle. And I'm telling her the plan about Arthur and keeping Bly Manor. And we went at that over and over and over again with Jimmy Neist, our DP, to get that very specific gothic look. And I was so impressed. I was so impressed because, you know, a newer director sometimes won't drill down like that. And she was doing it all the time. There's a great shot of Perdita dead in front of my trunk with her neck up and it's sort of shot from below. And that's from a specific painting like an old time painting or an image and the time Axel would spend just to craft these visual experiences. She's just, mm, mm. she's just queen. She queen. I love it. I love it. I also noticed an Easter egg, like the room Pedretti stays in at the hostel. Can we expect many more in the series? Like say maybe the Oculus mirror, perhaps. I know there are tons of Easter eggs. Unfortunately, I can't give them any way because I wasn't on set that much. And so I would suggest that people inundate Mike Flanagan with tweets. <laughs> it's coming. It's At coming. Mike Flanagan film. We mentioned that voiceover that Carla Gugino just kills it with the voiceover, in particular in this episode. I mean, don't you just want Carla Gugino to read you bedtime stories? I know. Oh gosh, I, I know. Right? Was any of that stuff present on set for you to inform your performance? I mean, in those scenes where she would sleep, she would walk, she would wake. There were times where I needed to match up timing. And so our script supervisor would read them, who, who is not necessarily as talented as Carla Gugino. <laughs> and so um, but there was a certain number of things. My death, we had to have the voiceover playing so that it timed out perfectly to when they get to. And the word was enough. That's when the action started. Um, when I'm in the room, when I'm looking at myself in the mirror, I asked them to read me about like she she finally accepted that she was dead. And then da, 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 da. that to me was really moving. I thought the language of the episode was so beautiful that sometimes it definitely helped the performance. Your character, Viola, is such a strong, fierce and intelligent woman. She has such heart, too. Are there any characteristics in Viola that you find in yourself? I certainly wouldn't tell you that Mike said that 
the whole point of being stubborn <laughs> was because he knew I couldn't play someone who wasn't <laughs> just bullheaded. <laughs> it radiates from my human. I am sing when I have a goal, I just won't stop. It's very, very bad. It's very bad. And so all of my characters have to have that because it's one of those things I can't stop pouring out of every single pore. I think Viola's commitment to her family is something I really identified with. I think her love of fancy clothes, I certainly, certainly identified with. Viola's probably closer to me than I'd care to admit. I'm not going to murder everyone I love with my own <laughs> <Yeah>. gravity belt. I got thrown in a lake. If I got thrown in a lake, who knows what I would do? It was also the first time I believe we've heard you sing on screen. I believe with the Baroque hit Till My Lover Returns to Me. Did Mike write that song or was it actually like a like a classic song you had to learn? I think he wrote it. I don't know. What I got from him was a voice memo of him singing it. No way! <laughs> Special <Nice>. feature. Maybe I'll post it. But because I was, he like sent me the music link and I was like, Mike, Mike, I'm not going to, there's a baby screaming at me. Just, just sing it and I'll learn it like I learned a lullaby. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I got to speak on to is the Newton brothers killed it on episode eight yes. to see yes. them perform in this lush kind of period with the main theme and yeah. changing and that amazing waltz They're that happens. So yeah. beautiful. Oh my so beautiful. gosh. They're so I love them so completely. God, love fast grows. Now, what about some of the challenges of doing, I mean, the water scenes, how did that happen? Dude, dude, dude. I mean, I, um, there's a lot of ways I could go with this. Do you guys want an upbeat, happy story? Or do you want like a, <laughs> want a the truth. We want the truth. The truth. <laughs> so I guess the truth is somewhere in between. So when I was younger, instead of having dreams about flying, I had dreams about breathing underwater. Still to this day, that's like my freedom dreams are me breathing underwater. So I was super stoked. And um, there was an amazing underwater team and we went to the aquatic center in Vancouver and they put the wig on me because the wig adds so much weight to your head that it needed. I needed to practice with that. And I had a full scuba suit on and I learned to scuba and they taught me all of these meditation techniques. And now I can hold my breath for two minutes at a time. And so because two things happen when you get in that lake. So there's two ways it was shot. Like the happy, happy version is the tank work, which is where it's like a nice tank, of warm water. And they dressed it like a happy aquarium. And there, this, there's the underwater filming department all in their scuba gear. And they put me in my dress and my wig and the everything. And they sew weights into the dress. So I lay flat on the bottom of the lake and somebody comes and gives me a breath. And then everybody floats away and we wait for about two minutes or more while the bubbles settle. And then someone says over a speaker, under our speaker, open your eyes, close your eyes, open your eyes, close your eyes. And that is so much fun. It is. It's so fun because you're just like breathing underwater and it's beautiful and warm. And then there's the freaking lake, the actual lake in Langley, Vancouver in November. That's freezing cold and it's three in the morning. And I don't know if you noticed this, but your girl came out of perfectly still water. So I am again, I've got my weights and I've got my wig and they've got me in like this nude colored scuba suit because it's freezing cold. Like things are freezing. They're breaking up ice on the surface of this lake and they're trying to heat it, but they can't because they have to get what anyway. And I'm in the thing and I'm shaking and I'm shaking and I'm shaking so hard. And, and then they go, OK, here we go. And I have to go underwater and I hold on to these two sandbags and I have to hold my breath until the lake is perfectly still. Oh, and my then God. I have to walk out of the lake 
perfectly smoothly to a point like a, a specific point, because that's the only place the ramp is for me to walk out of the lake. I can't see anything. I'm in a lake, y'all. Like I can't open my eyes underwater. So I'm slowly dropping these um, these sandbags and walking smoothly. And I've done it two or three times. And I am so cold. I am I am bone deep, shaking, just miserable, just ready to quit my entire dream because I'm like, I can't do this. And I go under and I do it again and it works and it's great. And I hear from the the tent where they keep all the people who are watching the screen to make sure the costume and the hair looks right. Um, someone yell, I think a little bit more of your hair needs to be in front of your shoulders. And oh. I, lost, I, lost oh. I don't know when I'm supposed to move my hair in front of my shoulders because I'm holding sandbags. And, and at that point, Axel comes out and she's like, OK, I think we're done. I think we've got it. This is great. Thank you. <laughs> and I just like burst into tears. Wow. And I love Lilia. Lilia is doing my hair for Midnight Mass like we're friends. So it was fine. But it was one of those moments where I think sometimes we forget that there are people playing these characters. And they, she's focused on the hair and wanted it to be that way. But so they dumped me in a tub of hot water and I just shook and cried for about an hour. And then I went home and did it all again. Then I- Unbelievable. I'm, I'm impressed. That I, wow. I, I mean, to hear that that was practical it was is unbelievable. I yeah. thought maybe that was like yeah. dry for wet or they use all these techniques right. and oh, they threw me like in the middle of the night. What about the prosthetic look when your face starts deteriorating? Was that all digital? Was there any prosthesis? That's digital. There okay. were dots on my face for some of it. And some of it is a stand-in done by Daniela Dibb, who is an amazing actress in her own right and stunt woman. And she did some of that. And she had to wear the silicone mask. Please tell me those paintings are at your house of you. I just got one. Yes! And it's over, yes! And it's over Mike's office desk. Oh, yes! That's really nice. rad. What's amazing to us is that we spend the entire series up to episode eight and not it's it's up above the staircase and yeah. Bly never once. No, wait, that's Kate. Never once. We had to go right. back. We had to go back. We called it out on Twitter. One person called it out. I was proud. I'm there the whole time. Is the dollhouse sitting in, in your kitchen or something? No, I don't like creepy dollhouses. <laughs> Send it over here. <laughs> what about dragging the bodies? Oh, that's um, that was all stunt work. There was a a specific thing. I had a harness on so I could pull with a straight arm. And the person I was dragging was a stunt performer who was on a wheelie thing. From the beginning to end, in your words, what do you think it speaks to on a whole? I've always thought that and everyone has been saying this and I hope it doesn't get redundant. But I think Bly is a love story and not one of those like fancy free love stories that that teach our kids all the wrong things. I think it's a love story about what love actually is in all of its different ways. And it's not just about the love between you and your romantic partner. It's about the love between sisters, the love between friends, the love between Jamie and her plants. Like it's about all the different types of love and the way those loves can go terribly well and the way they can go terribly wrong. Beautifully said. Last question. What have you watched recently that you can recommend? Oh, man. What have I watched recently that I can recommend? I'm in production right now, so I'm not watching a lot of TV. Can I recommend a book? Yeah. Yeah. I read a book called Night Film, which is amazing. Years ago, I'm going to take the time to look up the author because I love it. Years ago, I read this book called Special Topics in Calamity Physics. It's a fiction novel, and I loved it 
so much that this was recommended to me on Twitter. Same author, Marisha Pessel, M-A-R-I-S-H-A-P-E-S-S-L. And it is a good, long, spooky mystery story that is perfect for October. Okay. Yes. Well, I think we've got to let you go. We promised 20 minutes and now we're already almost at 30 oh, and we're guys. so sorry. Hey, thank you so much. And again, congratulations on Bly and pass yes. that along to Mike for us. I sure will. If I ever see him again. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 166. Special thanks to our guest, Kate Siegel. Follow Kate Siegel Official on Instagram and K8Siegel, that's K and the number eight Siegel on Twitter. Check out The Haunting of Bly Manor, brand new to Netflix at time of release. If you like this conversation, check out episode 160 with Darren Bowsman and Alex Esso, the Newton Brothers on episode 39, and Kate Siegel's previous appearances on episode 35 and 85 alongside Mike Flanagan. Production tracks for this episode provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shands and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shands. Chopped and sliced by Trevor Shands. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy or disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.